Hello, and welcome to FDI Cybersecurity's podcast series, The Expert Briefing. My name is Brian Hale, and I'm a managing partner in FTI's cybersecurity practice. I have more than 25 years of experience with federal law enforcement, working with U.S. intelligence agencies, and the private sector. Much of my time has been spent working on critical cybersecurity challenges impacting our national security, economy, and technical innovation. I'm pleased to present this episode in our podcast series, where we bring together experts to discuss the latest issues and trends impacting the world of cybersecurity. And today we'll be discussing the Cyber Incident Reporting for Critical Infrastructure Act of 2022. For this episode, I'm joined by an external guest from Maynard Cooper and Gale, Adam Griffin, and also two of my FTI colleagues, Don Good and Sarah Sendek. So I'll let them introduce themselves. Let's start with you, Adam. Hi, my name's Adam Griffin. I'm a shareholder in the cybersecurity and privacy practice at Maynard. I advise clients across the U.S. and in all industries on cybersecurity and privacy issues. That includes incident response, vendor management, policy work, incident response planning, and regulatory compliance. My team and I work often with a number of state, federal, and international privacy laws and regulations, some of which we'll talk about today. I am a lawyer, so I have to give a quick disclaimer that I'm not giving any legal advice today, just sharing some hopefully helpful information. Hello, my name is Don Good. I'm a managing director with FTI Cybersecurity Practice, where I advise clients on a myriad of cybersecurity challenges. I work with organizations who have fallen victim to ransomware, business email compromise, or other cyber attacks, and lead the forensic effort to determine what happened and provide remediation services to help them recover from the attack. I also assist clients with cyber incident planning and preparedness to help them mitigate risk, develop a more robust cybersecurity infrastructure, and improve their cyber resiliency. And finally, I conduct complex investigations and provide expert witness services in support of cyber litigation. Great, and hi, Sarah. Hi, I'm Sarah Sendek. I'm a senior director here at FTI with the cybersecurity and data privacy communications team. I have more than eight, 15 years experience in crisis communications and public relations. And previously I served as the first director of public affairs at the cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency or CISA um, who we'll be discussing today responsible for implementing this new reporting requirement. In my role here at FTI, I provide counsel to clients on both cybersecurity preparedness and incident response involving PII, PHI, IP, and other sensitive data across a range of industries. Our team's assisted clients in communications response efforts for some of the most high-profile incidents of the past few years, including everything from critical infrastructure, ransomware, double extortion, and even nation-state attacks. So thank you for having me here today. Great. Thanks to everybody for joining today. You know, it's an impressive collection of professional backgrounds, and I'm looking forward to hearing some of your all's great insights. So as I mentioned before, we're going to be covering the Cyber Incident Reporting for Critical Infrastructure Act of 2022. And specifically, we're going to be discussing the implications uh, for impacted organizations. So let's go ahead and get started, kicking off the conversation with our first topic. So the passage of this act requires those in the critical infrastructure industry to report cybersecurity incidents and ransomware payments within 72 and 24 hours to the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA. Uh, the goal of this act 
is for the federal government to develop a clearer picture of the threats that are facing our nation and how to better organize a collaborative response strategy to the attacks. Um, starting with you, Adam, from a legal perspective, what are the implications of mandatory reporting and how should critical infrastructure entities be preparing for the act? Thanks, Brian. First of all, I think it's important to make clear this is a mandate. These aren't recommendations, they're requirements. So there's a real need to start preparing now to comply with those requirements. We've seen many times in the past guidance, best practices, and those types of things from the federal government, but that's not what this is. This is a legal requirement for the notification by critical infrastructure entities. So it's important to work now to incorporate this into your incident response planning into your broader regulatory compliance program. I would note that who constitutes a covered entity under this law may be broader than you think. So it's not safe to assume it does not apply to your company. With that in mind, the requirements themselves are relatively stringent. As you mentioned, covered entities must report to the agency a covered incident within 72 hours. That's a relatively short time window as far as notification laws go. Uh, and also must report a ransom payment within 24 hours of that payment being made. Further, covered entities have to supplement these reports as new or different information becomes available. That responsibility to supplement only ends when you notify CISA the issue is resolved. I think it's also important to understand the enforcement provisions in the law. Actions can be taken for failures to notify and failures to otherwise comply with the law. If you fail to notify as required, the CISA director can ask you for a report. If you fail to comply with that, they can subpoena you to get enough information to determine if a covered incident or ransom payment happened and whether the covered entity did in fact fail to comply. If there are grounds for enforcement actions from that, the director can bring in the Department of Justice or an appropriate federal regulator. Uh, I think it's important to keep the time periods in mind here. There's a really small window of time to report and there may be serious consequences for failing to act in that short time. Uh, some people may ask, how will they know if we don't report? If we don't tell them, they're not gonna know and there will be nothing to enforce. I think there's a couple of things to consider there. One is incidents often make their way into the press. People who become aware of them may leak it to the press. Another way is through the threat actors, blogs and leak sites. Uh, a lot of the threat actors have blogs where they post the names of the companies compromised. Uh, and then of course, most of them that are engaged in double ransom attacks post the data that they've actually stolen and leaked. So it would be almost a trivial effort for CISA to monitor those sites, see whose names are on them, and check that against the list of who's notified. There are other ways that, that they could find out about these incidents. I would caution to not assume you can keep things quiet and just get away with not reporting. That's often not the case. Finally, from the legal perspective, I'd mention there's some protections in the act around the reporting. It's apparent from the text of the act that the goal was to be risk neutral from a litigation and regulatory standpoint if you comply. If the information was solely received by this required reporting, the agency cannot use it for regulatory purposes. There are specific protections for the information. If it's designated as commercial, financial, or proprietary, it will be treated as such. The information is also outside of the scope of FOIA and other similar records request laws. Submitting this report does not constitute a waiver of privilege, trade secrets, or other legal protections around the information reported. And it's not subject to any of the rules regarding ex parte communications with decision-making officials. Finally, if you report the information, you cannot be sued solely based on the report. There are some important caveats to that, however. You can still be sued by the federal government as part of enforcing the law. And of course, you can still be sued for the data breach or incident as you would be otherwise, but just not based on that reporting. 
Uh, anyone suing would have to bring other claims and allegations as people are already doing. So to summarize all that, it is a requirement. The time to prepare is now. It can and will be enforced. And the idea around it is if you report as required, then the report itself is hopefully risk neutral to the company. A lot to consider there. Thanks, Adam. Turning to you, Don, I'd like to get your thoughts on the cybersecurity considerations. What programs and tools need to already be in place in order to meet that 72 or 24 hour deadline? And is it possible that some organizations do not have the capability to determine if they've experienced a cybersecurity incident? Well, thanks, Brian. Two good questions, and, and let me take them in order. First of all, the 72 and 24-hour reporting requirement are incredibly short times. So there's not a lot of time for you to get your information and your facts together so that you can report properly. But nonetheless, they are mandates, as Adam mentioned. So you do need to, you do, need to do it. And what you're going to find is that there'll be a lot of questions following from that initial reporting. And so you need to be prepared to supplement that initial reporting with additional answers. Uh, you're going to get some more questions. There's, there's no way around it. And I think one of the important things here is that organizations need to step back and they need to assume that at some point they will likely experience a cyber attack or incident. It's virtually impossible in today's environment to escape that. And so that's the mindset that all organizations really need to have. And they shouldn't wait for an organization like CISA or another government agency to provide mandates or tell them you must do something to improve your cybersecurity infrastructure. Rather, they need to, I think, look at two things. First of all, uh, they need to practice good cyber hygiene. And there are a number of different things that make up good cyber hygiene. So let me cover that first. So organizations need to know, for example, where their most sensitive data is in their network, and they need to do the right things to properly protect that data. They should also train their employees with cybersecurity awareness training so that their employees are aware of phishing schemes and how to avoid those type of phishing schemes and what are the right things to do to secure the information on the network within the organization. They should employ multi-factor authentication. So that's something you know and something you have. It's more than just your credentials to log in. It's extremely important uh, to have that second form of authentication. Uh, the organization should employ email filtering so they can filter spam and also phishing emails. A strong password policy where you change passwords every 90 days, it's mandated or required. And then in addition to that, uh, the password should be complex, 12 or more characters, numbers, symbols. Uh, they should also employ the principle of least privilege. So no one should have greater access to the system than required to do his or her job. And then they should have a good backup strategy. So they should back up their systems on a regular basis. Those backups should be verified and those backups should be air-gapped. So that's the cyber hygiene piece. And I think that's extremely important. I did not cover all the requirements within cyber hygiene, but I think the most important ones. The second piece of it is all organizations should have an incident response plan in place. They need to step back and think about what they would do in the event of an incident and how they would act, how they would respond. And that's really what an incident response plan will do for them. It will give them a script, if you will, of how they would respond to that cyber incident or cyber attack and hopefully get them to a position where they can resolve it more quickly and return to business. Part of that is a whole of organization approach. So it requires executive commitment. Uh, the CEO, the CFO, all the other executives in the organization need to be aware of the plan. They also need to be in a position to respond and to answer questions. For example, in the event of a ransomware attack, decisions will need to be made about 
whether ransom should be paid or not be paid? Should law enforcement be notified? How will the organization handle media inquiries? All those questions need to be answered. And so it's extremely important that the executives are involved in the incident response plan. They're named in it. And they're working closely with the rest of the people in the organization who would be responsible for resolving the incident. And further, that incident response plan should be exercised. So once a year, we always recommend that organizations conduct what we call a cyber incident simulation exercise or a tabletop exercise to go ahead and to exercise the incident response plan to make sure it's working effectively. Then the second question that you asked uh, had to do with is it possible that some organizations do not have the capability to determine if they've experienced a cybersecurity incident? And the answer is absolutely yes, no question about it. Uh, if the organization isn't using the proper tools to monitor activity on its network, for example, organizations should deploy endpoint detection and response tools or software to enable them to understand what's occurring within their network. It gives them visibility into their network. And if there's a threat, that tool can help them mitigate that threat very quickly before it becomes a major cyber incident. And then the other piece of it is organizations should be collecting logs and they should be reviewing those logs on a regular basis. So Windows logs, antivirus logs, logs from other components within the network to help them understand if there's any anomalous activity on their network. Great, thanks, Don. Sarah, you used to work at CISA. In fact, you and I had the opportunity to work together on a few matters when I was at the FBI, and, and I know you have a unique view on this topic. So from a communications perspective, what implications do these reporting requirements have and what can be done today to ensure compliance when an incident or ransomware attack happens? Sure. I think one of the important things to remember is CISA is still in the early phases of the rulemaking process for actual implementation of this reporting requirement. Um, so there is time to get involved to comment on the rulemaking process and for considerations for both CISA and companies to make as they're looking at preparing for this to go into effect. Um, I think one of the key considerations um, and concerns for this reporting requirement is, as Don mentioned, the reporting window, the 72 hours for reporting is incredibly small and incredibly fast. In cyber incidents, there's a lot of unknowns very early on. Uh, mm -hmm. Messages will evolve. We always tell you know, our clients in the cyber incident, messages are gonna evolve, evolve and you don't wanna get ahead of the facts. We need to maintain consistency, but not get ahead of the facts. So looking at how and what will be required to report in those 72 hours, obviously companies wanna be able to report the accurate facts to CISA, but without getting ahead of the unknowns and make sure that there's room to keep updating our government partners as these situations are evolving. Um, the next consideration and concern is maintaining immunity and confidentiality. I know a lot of companies have concerns about immunity over reporting ransomware payments. Um, will this be kept confidential? Ransomware cyber incidents can be very sensitive for businesses. So how can they trust that these situations and the details they're being asked to share are going to stay confidential? One thing we would recommend is kind of establishing those trusted relationships. CISA has a strong record of working with private sector partners already. Um, they, they share information, they receive information, indicators of compromise from their private sector partners and share it back out in alerts to help critical infrastructures sectors as a whole. So understanding how this is already maintaining those partnerships is gonna be important, but also make sure that you practice and repair for reporting requirements now. 
companies need to start evaluating their cyber posture, identify any gaps that are out there, and make sure their executive leadership is involved now in understanding what these new requirements are going to look like. And back to Don's point, practice it. Know exactly who's responsible for what, who's responsible for reporting this to the federal government, who are your points of contact. That's going to be another challenge that we're looking at moving forward is uh, different critical infrastructure sectors, different companies are responsible right now for reporting to different regulators. That's something that CISA is working on addressing is what, what are the requirements when it's the SEC reporting requirement or other government regulators and how are they sharing that information. Um, important for companies to have their designated person inside, but it's also going to be important for the federal government to establish these information sharing partnerships. The good news is they're working on it. Uh, they've already, the FBI has come out and praised the partnerships as they're developing these requirements between them and CISA on how they're going to make sure they're sharing this information back so it's most effective for the federal government to also disrupt this activity and, and take action. Um, you know, the, the, the reason behind these reporting requirements is to make sure that the federal government has visibility into this ever-growing, evolving cyber problem that's that's affecting all of private industry so that they can better address it and take action um, as a whole of government effort. Well, that's great. We've heard some uh, really interesting points uh, from the legal perspective, cybersecurity perspective, and the communications perspective, but let's wrap it up with the sort of big takeaways. Why should listeners care and what can they do about it? So let's start with you, Adam. Sure. So my takeaways and responses to that are, one, don't assume the law does not apply to you. Uh, don't assume by the, the name of the law or the contents of it as written that it doesn't apply to you. Get somebody to actually give you a determination as to whether the law applies to you. And two, do not wait to prepare to comply. This is going to be a substantial shift in reporting requirements for most companies. So that includes the things that have been mentioned, preparing and updating your incident response plan, run those tabletop exercises and update and maintain your broader regulatory compliance program to be consistent with the law. Okay, great. Sarah, what would you add to that? Adam's point, everyone should care because this is gonna affect a broad range of companies and industries across the critical infrastructure sector. But what they should do about it is prepare now, have a crisis plan, practice, but also get involved. There will be opportunity to comment and be involved in the rulemaking process. So get out there, comment, figure out where your vulnerabilities are, where your concerns are, and make sure you're involved in this process. Great. And Don, what would you add? Thanks, Brian. Uh, I think it's extremely important, as I mentioned, practice good cyber hygiene. Uh, don't wait. Uh, Sarah said it. Adam said it. We've all probably said it a little bit differently, but the bottom line is that you really need to practice good cyber hygiene and make sure that your cybersecurity infrastructure is in a good place so your business is in a good place. And perhaps most importantly, plan for that bad day. Understand that you may well become the victim of a cyber incident, so develop a, a comprehensive incident response plan to respond to the different cyber incidents and threats that we see, and then make sure that you exercise it, involve the entire organization, and make sure that everyone understands it's everyone's responsibility. Thanks, Don. I would also like to thank Adam and Sarah for joining me today. Remember to subscribe to our podcast series so that you don't miss out on future episodes. If you'd like to find out more about what we do here at FTI Cybersecurity and how we help build a resilient future for clients, please reach out to myself or any of today's guests from FTI.
That information is available on our FTI website as well. Mm -hmm.